Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. (laughs) That's right. That's good enough. (laughs) Oh boy. Let's dive in. Today we have Mayan Gordon. She's a gas explosion survivor, dog mommy of four, TikTok influencer, social media agency runner, and artist. Today she's here to share her secrets to success. Mayan, welcome. Oh my God. Okay, so I just saw you on LinkedIn and I was totally blown away by your presence. Oh my goodness. Oh, thank you. Oh, I didn't start out this way. People are like, you're so natural. It's like, nope. (laughs) Wow. Well, I hope to one day get to where you are with comfort level. Oh, thank and you. That, was, is, that is quite flattery. I appreciate wow. that. Wow. And I was totally going to butcher your name, but I listened to you prior, so I know that it's Mayon and not- Mayon. Okay. I still did. There you go. <laughs> just a little bit though. Just a little bit. That's okay. Earlier today, I was on a, a networking call and they called me Marianne and I was, <laughs> I was even hesitant if they met me. So you're good. <laughs> is it Hebrew? It, it is. Yeah. So- it's technically Mayan, but when I do that, people are like, what noise did she just make? <laughs> like, they don't know how. And when I was a kid, and my mother would always pronounce it the correct way, Mayan. And so I would pronounce it that way. And people would try and fail and try and fail. And they, like, don't give up and just be, like, people wouldn't be like, I'm sorry. I'm sure I'm getting it wrong. But, like, let's continue. They'd be like, is this right? Is this right? I'd be like, no, no. I'd be like, yes, sure. <laughs> So I came up with a slightly Americanized version of it. Cool, cool. So were you born here? I was, yeah. My whole family was born in the States. Like my my grandmother was born in Chicago, but my great-grandparents were born in Poland and kind of emigrated to to Israel after my grandmother moved to Chicago. Um, And now my whole mother's side of the family, besides my mother, all live in Israel. Both of my sisters are in Israel. Oh, cool. What part? So I have one sister in the north. She's near Haifa. Mm-hmm. And then I have another sister in Ramah Beit Shemesh. Oh, wow. Nice. That's awesome. Do you go to visit? Well, uh, it's been a, about two years, a year. It's like, it's really a toll almost to like, like every time I go to Israel, it's like, you know, two to three days of recovery time just from the flying. Do you want to ever live there? Yes, absolutely. So me and my husband talk about, really, we would probably go have children in Israel for so many reasons, other than we have four dogs, two of them are pit bulls, and we just can't, we love our dogs so much, we can't fathom not bringing them with, and they do not allow pit bulls. I didn't know that. Yeah, most countries are not pit bull friendly, and they won't allow you to bring your pit bull. Like, they'll allow you to bring a different kind of dog, but not pit bulls. And what is your love for pit bulls? Where did that come from? I mean, I I have two of them. That's really why I love them. So the first one we got, so we got most of our dogs on Craigslist, except for our French bulldog, which we purchased for a very high price from like one of the top breeders in the country because they tend to have health problems. And so we just wanted to make sure we got like the most top-notch quality in terms of health. And he's like really well known for 
for breeding like champion. I used to have an idea about taking him to dog shows, but I realized that I'm far too busy and interested in other things to like pursue that. And like French bulldogs are little shits, like just by nature, they're like awful little, <laughs> like he's the sweetest, but he's also doesn't, has zero guilt, doesn't give a crap. Like sometimes we'll spite pee in our bed. <laughs> like awful little thing and then we'll be like no it'll be like what what it's my bed like <laughs> so the pitbulls are like the opposite just the sweetest sweetest dogs like so loving really just hilarious like I don't know I just I love they're so sweet that's what I love about them do they get along yeah they all get along great because we have four in the Frenchie he's not neutered because we do want to breed him at some point he can get aggressive towards the top pit bull so there's like clear hierarchy where like we have a, a german shepherd who's the oldest she's like a german shepherd mutt she's very small like 40 45 pounds and she is definitely the alpha of the whole group she's the only female the rest are all boys next in the hierarchy is the skinny pit bull so his name's ninja and he's legit like a ninja he's like so fast and athletic and then it's Kronos. So they're like at the same dominance level. And so sometimes they get into fights like in the kitchen specifically. Only over stuff. So only over food or toys will they ever like fight. But the, again, the Frenchie's such a little shit. Like when they get in a fight, we'll pull Ninja off and like Ninja will not be attacking or Ninja will even try and like move away. And the Frenchie just keeps going. Like, you better learn your lesson. I'm going to mess you up. Like, <laughs> and so it's like, it usually takes both of us. Like one has to get Ninja, one has to get Kronos, who's the Frenchie. And then they're fine afterwards. They're like, oh, what, what happened? Like, did anything happen? Well, the Frenchie's like that. Ninja's like, I don't like him. He's so mean because he's a sweet boy. And then we have the lowest on the totem pole is the other pit bull, Duke, who's like a fat, stocky pit bull. You know your animals like I know my four children. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've loved dogs my whole life. I actually did a very unique thing in high school. I raised two guide dogs for the blind as puppies. So I took puppies with me every single day to school when I was a junior and senior and, and got to do all sorts of training with them. I've never known anybody to do that. That's so cool. What, what was that like? It was really awesome because I got to always have like a friend with me. Um, it was very hard because you have to teach them a lot of things that like dogs, so like they can't play with balls ever or like chase out, you know, you have to be very, very disciplined with them, which was hard. And then the hardest part is you have to give them up at the end to go on to like guide dog college essentially and get like harness training and like get paired with a blind person, but was, was really rewarding. And I'm sure taught me a lot of good things about being a good person. <laughs> Did you get to meet the people that they went to or? So they both flunked out. It's like a 50% flunk rate based on either very small. So like the first one flunked out because his knees weren't quite, a lot of them have knees, knee issues because it's a select breeding program. So it's like a lot of inbreeding and just the health of them, like very small things that wouldn't affect a pet. But like, because the blind person's leaning on the dog, if there's any shortening of the work period. So like it would be fine for four to five years, but the dog would have to retire early and they try and not give the blind, because the blind people make such a connection with the dogs. They want them to be able to have the same dog as long as possible because it's really hard for them to, to switch dogs. And so that they'll flunk them out for reasons like that. And then the second one flunked out because he would pee on walks, which you're like, what? But they're only allowed to pee or go bathroom on command. Otherwise, how's the blind person going to know where they're going? And like, this dog would very occasionally 
P off of command on a walk. And so that was a flunk also. We kept the second one. We actually adopted him and he lived with us a, a very nice, you know, another nine years. His name was Garth and uh, we have him, his ashes in a box in our living room with some flowers now. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's an incredible story. I want to learn about your gas explosion story. So I've never known anybody to go through that. Me too. I'm like the only <laughs> one I know of. Basically, me and my husband were making something called butane hash oil outside of our house, which uh, we grew up in Seattle, Washington, very cannabis friendly state. And this was kind of like people had discovered you could run butane through like cheap marijuana, cheap cannabis. It would extract all of the THC. You could evaporate the butane and you were left with what people now refer to as dabs or um, concentrated THC, which they now sell. Back then, this was illegal, just the same way all cannabis was illegal, but now is something totally legally sold. We were doing this outside of our house. I wasn't very familiar with the fact that some gases are heavier than air. I was like, gas, it goes up and away in the atmosphere. I'm doing it outside, totally safe. What actually was happening is butane's heavier than air. It was sinking in. And because we had been leaving our door open, because we thought like ventilation was good. And because you know how when you have a door open, like there's just a draft into your house. And so the butane was getting slowly over time, just kind of filling up the bottom part of our kitchen. Of course, it's got no smell. You can't see it. It was not detectable. And then one day we were cooking. And um, during this period in, in our life, I was it was me and my now husband, but at the, at the time boyfriend, Ben, we were naked a lot because, because like we had our own rental house. We were young and we were like, why wear clothes? So we were naked cooking at the stove and just boom, like boom. And at first it was just so like unexpected and like so fast that you're like, I don't know what happened. Like, I didn't know what had happened other than like my, my lenses, my, I wear contacts that are pretty strong. I couldn't see cause they had gotten like crinkled, like, you know, from heat, you've seen contact lenses like crinkle from heat. So they'd been crinkled. I couldn't see. I like could tell that my hair had been singed and I didn't feel the pain right away, but like was freaking out from like adrenaline, you know, had like, I was like, my body knew something bad had happened. So I like ran to the bathroom, flipped out my contacts, was like, thank God my eyes aren't, cause I was worried, like, are my eyes fucked up? My eyes weren't, um, I just, just the contacts. And then the kind of the pain started to sink in. So I got burned just, just a bit on my legs. Cause I was standing behind my husband and he got burned on, I would say close to 30% of his body. So like both his legs and then up his chest and onto his arm as well. I was in the bathroom. He came this way, like free, like shaking his arms, screaming. You know, we both kind of were freaked out. I had enough sense to be like, we need to call 911 right now. Called 911, told them we were just in an explosion. Um, please come help us. Here's our address. Then we both hopped in the shower because we thought that was like all we could really think of. Like, that'll help. Didn't know that with a burn, you're supposed to use warm water first, then cold water, because your skin is actually at a boiling temperature when you get burned like that. So you're supposed to first bring it down to body temperature and then to cool. But we just put on the cold water, help, helped a little bit in terms of the pain, but mostly still hurt a lot. And we're just like, just freaking out. Cause like in my head thinking, did I just like make the mistake where I'm going to die now? Like I, I had no idea never been through an explosion before. I didn't know what else might be wrong with me. Fire, fire department came, 
they were the first ones on the scene. Then like an ambulance came, gave us morphine, which was or asked us what happened, gave us morphine, felt a lot better after the morphine. Um, at least I did. Ben, Ben was a lot more severely burned. And so he had a pretty difficult time in terms of like pain management. We went to Harborview Medical, which is a really, thank God, a really, really good hospital. And I was held overnight and then released the next morning in a drug-induced haze (laughs) where they're like, you're fine, right? I was like, yeah, I guess. (laughs) Ben had to stay in the ICU for about a week. So I would come back and basically spend every day just trying to like help him not be miserable from like the pain that he was in especially because part of like getting better from a burn is you have to walk around to get the blood flow going. And it's, it's like knives, it's like pins and needles in your, in your legs and on your body where, because of the blood flow going there. And so just trying to like keep the spirits up as much as possible, but at the same time feeling like awful about myself. Cause I like was part of us blowing up and like, you know, in my head, this is all my fault. Like, I can't believe this happened. And then I had an issue with my leg becoming an entire, like my whole leg became a blister and I had to come back and they had to like peel off all the blister skin and like drain it. It was, it was gross. But then afterwards we, you know, got back to the house. And also we didn't have renter's insurance because I had no financial education to know that that was like something we should have. So had damages to the house, which again, felt really guilty about in terms of like, these guys let us rent their house and like we blew it up and luckily not a huge amount of damage, like $3,000 worth of damage. And Ben's uncle was, his family's got contractors and like, they're very, very handy. So they like came and helped, but like, we didn't have any money saved because I had been, I'd been cash flowing really well through my copywriting jobs. So I was making 800 bucks a week and I was like, I don't need to save for shit. That's a ton of money to me. Cause I, again, zero financial education. From there, we realized, you know, 1400 bucks a month, like we're, we're not gonna be able to afford that and pay off any of, of this debt we have now. So let's move into an RV. So we borrowed 1400 bucks from Ben's dad, who's always kind of been more willing. Like my parents are like, you fuck up, you fix it. Like, this is your problem. <laughs> Ben's parents are very like, you're our only son. Like there's four of me, you know, like the, it's me and three other kids. <laughs> my parents are like, we got others. Like you're, you're on your own. <laughs> So they gave him gave us 1400 bucks. We bought this 19 foot 1978 Dodge Coachman, moved pretty much everything we owned into it. And I was like, we should go down to California where it's legal to be homeless. In Seattle, you can't, we couldn't even park our RV in front of our own rental house. The cops came that night and went, the neighbors have been complaining that this RV is here today and you can't keep it parked here for, because there is a law. You can't have RVs parked on the street for more than 72 hours. And so we, we knew like, this is not a friendly place for us to be homeless in. So like, I was like, I, I went to college down at Occidental College um, in California and I knew how laxed it was. Like LA's awesome. Like they're worried about heroin, drug dealers. Like they're not worried about homeless people who have no bad intentions and are not selling drugs. And so we were homeless for, in that spot for about three to four months while we started up our business, our first business together, Diffuser Beats. So we'd just go into the library every single day and it, probably in the, in the morning, afternoon, cause it was pretty hot. This was like summertime and we were able to, to get a product together and get 36 jars of these diffuser beads that we were going to sell. And we just walked around with a box, with a, a free box from the post office. And we walked to like five different smoke shops over like four different miles until one of them went, yeah, I'll try out your product. Like, and they bought all of them and we were like, oh my God, our dream's coming true. <laughs> Cause during this whole time we were like 
really, really, really broke. To the I was like, we need to start something ourselves instead of me chasing jobs that I may or may not get. Like we have to build something if we're going to get out of this. Um, so there were definitely a lot of days where like we either didn't eat at all or had like one McChicken that we split between us or, or we, it's so funny. Cause we go back down there and there's a store called super a foods and we would walk like two miles to this grocery store from our RV. Cause we had, we couldn't, the RV was, it got like four miles to the gallon. It was a gas guzzler. Cause it was a 1978, like piece of shit. <laughs> and like we, when we were getting down to California, we had to stop a lot of times. So it wouldn't overheat. We would just walk this like two miles to the store called super a foods. And they had this deal, which was a hot dog and a soda for a dollar 10. And so like we, some days we could afford that. And it was like, so good. It tasted so good to us. And we like went back one time and, and got it. And it was so nasty. <laughs> like, it's amazing how your taste buds change when you're like starving. I had this grand idea that if we did a trade show that was really well done, that we would make a ton of money. So I, we sold our RV, which we were living in to pay for a booth at this show, which promoted a lot of things that we went to the show and it was just lies. Like they were like, we're going to have this car show. We're going to have music artists. They didn't have any of it. And then they also put us right next to another booth that sold a very similar product, but different. They were selling water beads. Have you seen water beads? They like start out really small. You add water and they kind of grow. People use them for like plants and other things. Um, but they were using those, which were, our product was way better. Cause like that was a one-time product. Ours, you could reuse all the time. Like we had glow in the dark and like all these different colors, but their booth was right in front of ours. So people would see their booth, buy some, come to our booth and then be like, Oh, we just bought some at the other booth, but these are really cool. <laughs> and so we made 500 bucks from that. So now we had 500 bucks, no RV and no vehicle, like nothing. <laughs> so we stayed at this super shady cash motel when the ambulance showed up did you guys have time to throw some clothes on oh no I ran out the house naked I was like come please help but like at that point I don't give a fuck that I'm naked I'm just like I don't want to die am I gonna be okay you're a medical person please tell me I'm gonna be okay so it's kind of like yeah. childbirth actually like all inhibitions yeah. out the window yes exactly like I'm creating life here I don't give a shit if I'm naked yeah exactly your TikTok channel is unbelievable. I mean, oh, thank you. one thing that you said on the LinkedIn Live that I really liked, and it seems like such a practical tip, but you're like, just record yourself doing shit and then you can post that. Yeah, you can post it later. Like you don't have to post it that day, but like you'll have it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is honestly such a good tip because you do some time lapses and you add some music to it and you can repurpose it and it's engaging. Yeah. I mean, when you super speed anything, it becomes visually very interesting. Even like someone working on their computer to see the hands going like this, it's like, wait and put you, put it to music. Like that's, I'd watch that. Especially if you throw up a funny or relatable pop-up text or caption, like boom. <laughs> How did you learn TikTok? Is that just your generation or are you, were you on there in Musical.ly? No, not at all. I'm a late to TikTok person. I only hopped on in uh, late August, 2019. So this, it's been almost a year. It's been less than a year still. I got really good about social media through Instagram. We sold all of our glass products through Instagram via like auctions and flash sales. And through that, I've had at least 50,000 conversations with customers on Instagram. And so just really through volume, understanding what people respond to, was posting, because we were doing it in an auction style where basically I would post a piece, minimum bid, bid increments, post your bids in the comments, here's the end time, 
message the winner via DM, send an invoice through PayPal, they pay, get their shipping info, print it on a label. Well, at first we would take all the packages to the post office. I, I laugh at myself and I'm like, we used to wait at the post office. We were crazy. Like, <laughs> like we would wait for half an hour to an hour at the post office sometimes just to get to the front because Seattle's busy like that, especially around holidays. And then it'd be because we had 30, 40 packages. It'd be like another 30 minutes while they typed in every single address label we wrote because we'd write it on the package and they have to print it through their system. And now we have like a thermal printer and we do it. It's like all super easy and the customers, things are saved in our, in our database and all that. I'm a fucking hustler. Like people do not understand how much work I, I have done and am willing to do. And that's what it takes sometimes to get yourself out of a bad situation when you don't have help. Now, obviously if you have help, you can learn things that make it so you can be more kind of frugal with your time in a way that's like good for you versus like spending it all on the business. Um, but I didn't have anyone helping me ever until this year. TikTok is an advanced, advanced social media tool and an advanced AI layered system. So it's got multiple la layers of artificial intelligence that allow it to behave in the same way and deliver in the same way that a human being actually would behave and deliver. So because I was able to interact with so many real human beings and understand, oh, this is what people want. Oh, this is what makes them feel this way. I just applied all of that, plus learning of visuals through probably glassblowing. I learned a lot about colors and how people respond to colors through glassblowing. I learned a lot about lighting because glass is very hard to take video and picture of. So applying just everything that I learned over the past 10 years onto TikTok and TikTok understood right away, ooh, she gets it. She's making things that people want to see. And so then I, you know, I got lucky with my first viral video because it had no intention really behind it. But then being able to look at that and hypothesize, and I basically looked at uh, TikTok as a social science lab. And so every video I went to create, I had a hypothesis for why that video would be successful. I then would analyze the results based on views, hearts, comments, especially comments and what people were saying in the comments. Did you message all of the people who liked, commented, hearted? No, no, it's not even possible. So like on the first viral video I got, it's like 10,000 plus comments. Like there's no way, there's no even possible way to, to message all those people back. Like it'd probably take me weeks or months just on that single post. No, I've always been much more observation than communication on a one-to-one -one. other than Instagram that was definitely my focus was like sending people dms and commenting on their posts have you ever been to Venice Venice Italy not yet but is it's my goal to go there for glass week they have this this festival we actually we had planned last year we were like we're gonna go this year but like obviously not now <laughs> so coronavirus ruined my trip but but that's okay. I'm sure it'll it'll be around in the future. Yeah, no, that's gonna be amazing. I can't wait. So that's the only time I've like seen glass blowing up close, and the art there was just remarkable. That's why I thought. Yeah, because there a lot of those studios are like multi generational. I mean, I've only been blowing glass for five years. I'm very amateur compared to them. So a lot of the videos you see on my page are shared from other artists, so that I can get them. And that's why it's called World of Glass and not My Ons Glass or like my my Instagram brand, like my glass blowing brand is monkey boy art. So, but like world of glasses is really about the awesome world of glass and really getting more exposure for the entire industry. I am like one of the only glass blowers that does well financially. And most of them struggle, just like any art industry, most of them 
struggle economically very much because either they're not good at marketing like me or they simply, even if they do have some inkling for marketing, they've put their heart and soul and energy already into their glass. And at the end of the day, they just don't have the energy to then also go do this thing that they're not at all passionate about. And so I just want to create enough attention where people go and start finding them. Or like on my Instagram, I'll specifically do a lot of posts where I, the first sentence is go follow epiphany glass, go follow blank. And they do get a lot of followers from that um, and a lot of attention and people reaching out. So I think that's a, a really cool thing. I just noticed that today and actually followed some of the people that you mentioned. I think awesome. that that's a really beautiful way to build a community. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other reason I want, so glass blowing's the opposite of a friendly community for the, like, it's very much shifting and changing now, but it used to be, it was like old school thinking of like, we have a trade secret and we don't want it. It's like ours that we put so much effort and like literal blood and burns into, and certainly a lot of sweat. <laughs> I'm not making any money. If you make a sale, I feel like you're stealing from me type of mental, like total scarcity mindset. And just now with social media being a big thing in the past, you know, five years, people have really started to see like that that's not true and that there's enough for everyone. And so it has been shifting, but I'm trying to be part of that, that shift in that change. Cause there's still a huge number. Like there's a ton, a huge amount of people on Instagram, not just artists, but like mostly people in the stoner community who, who think I'm literally the worst person in the world because I posts other artists work and it's not mine. And they go, you're trying to make money off their work. And also cause they think that I'm like making money off a TikTok post, like that went like the same way you would off YouTube because they don't understand and have no rec. Like they're not interested to learn. They just are hateful. You know, they're sad and want to hate on something. And at first it was Donald Trump. Now it's me. <laughs> so, but there's still a ton of people who are like, if you're not posting your shit, like you're a terrible person. And like, I'm, I'm really trying to change some of that mindset, but part of how it's done is not directly through me. It's through the other artists who I'm helping and them posting positive things about what I'm doing or just sharing with people like, Hey, this actually has been really good for me. Like this has gotten me a lot of attention and actual, I've gotten artists, actual sales and customers. And so if you're going to hate on that, you're hating on them. And, and that I think starts to slowly over time change, change how those people think. Okay. Speaking of haters, can you tell me how you deal with disappointed customers? Because that is something really hard to handle. Yeah, I had my first one for my media business just this week. The way to do it that I've always done it is first to acknowledge how they feel. Very important. Say, I'm, I'm really sorry that you feel this way. It was not my, and then let them know it wasn't your intention and it wasn't on purpose. I never had any intention to make you feel upset. I'm really sorry. I'd love to understand more about why you feel this way. So there's two responses to that. One, either they immediately shift and they're like, oh shit, you care? I thought you fucking didn't give a shit about me and that's why this happened. Or to they're holding really, like, you know, some people get very easily offended and hold on to that offense um, very strongly. So then they'll be like, it's because you did this and like, that's a messed up thing to do. So then just again, acknowledging like, you know, you're right. I definitely shouldn't have, have done that. I, I really apologize. And then offer to make up for it. So it's one thing to say, sorry, it's another to make it better. Um, so like with glass blowing, sometimes that would be, they were so excited for a piece. It came and they were disappointed in how it looked. Didn't happen often, uh, more in the beginning because my skill set wasn't as good and I couldn't take pictures as well to like accurately portray or like sometimes the size, 
would be different because like if you have your hand in a piece with glass your hand will eat up all the light because your hand's like a bright white thing and so I would I would try I was and again these this was back when pictures were still kind of crappy and phones weren't that great um, and I couldn't afford an iPhone back then I had like a, a basic one and so I was just trying to get it to like have enough light on it to show the piece so I'd put it on a background and there wouldn't be anything else trying to draw in the light and so they sometimes were conf they were like I thought this was way bigger because like it took up the whole picture and so I'd be like I'm so sorry like you know the, the reason I'd explain I'd be like the reason I didn't have my hand in the picture or like a penny to give you reference is because it it makes it so you honestly can't see the piece at all but I'd love to send you another one for free and like I'll send you pictures before and I really want to make sure you're happy because my intention is to like spread joy with my artwork and like build happy customers and I'm not going to be in business if I like I'm not trying to screw you over I promise promise I'm not trying to screw you over let me make it up to you can I do this can I send you a free piece what can I make it your favorite color like really trying to, to make sure that I'm catering to, to what they want like with my media business what, what happened recently was months ago so probably like four or five months ago one of my first consultation customers everything was fine everything went well with the consultation but I didn't follow up because I wasn't necessarily I didn't have a good kind of business built out yet I was just like I can offer my service to people and I'm going to charge them for that now instead of doing it all for free like I was doing on LinkedIn also the consultation went great you know I tell people hey if you need anything reach out to me some people don't though they feel like you should reach out to them and then coupled with that was there was a point like two months ago where I asked if people wanted to be on my LinkedIn live I sent them a list of questions to get more info and honestly some of them I just didn't get back to because I at that point I had so many messages in my inbox and I think people don't really understand how I get like between 20 and 100 messages a day some days I'm doing so much stuff I have like five minutes to even look at the messages and new ones come in every day so if I didn't get to the old ones they start getting buried and buried and so I was trying my best to get to everything, but like, I just didn't get to his message, you know, when he wrote back and he took the time to, to write out these answers, which like, I totally understand. Like you took the time. I didn't get back to you. You feel like, and, and you paid me money for a service previously. You feel like, what the fuck? And then after that, to compound the problem, I hired a VA to help start helping me with my messages, to try and fix this issue. And sometimes I have her do a uh, message outreach for certain things. Like I started a LinkedIn group or like when I started my, my business page and I tell her, Hey, could you message everyone? Not everyone. Cause she can't, I've got too many people now. Could you message all these people who are in my like inbox or just in my connections? Right. Could you message them this message I wrote up? She's like, Hey, how's it going? Like, I hope you're having a great, it always starts very fast. Hey, how's it going? I hope you're having a great week. Just letting you know, I launched my business page and I'd love it if you gave me a follow. That'd be very meaningful to me. And so he got this message because like she was sending out to a bunch of people and I try and give her parameters like, hey, only send this to someone if we haven't had a conversation in the last two months. That way she's not like spamming people I'm in conversation with. Um, and so he got this message and then felt like, damn, she didn't get back to me. And now she's asking me to follow her business page and didn't message me during any of this time to like make the message pop back up or like get my attention it was just kind of like getting more and more upset. And then I sent him, I sent him a message this past week where I was like, Hey Scott, like, you know, we've talked before and I'd love to offer you a free seat. So like actually a, a really nice message. Cause I launched this coaching group. I was like, I'd love to offer you a free month in this coaching group. I think it'd bring you a ton of value. I know you have your own business. You started up and I've partnered with my, my friend Jesse and he's like really great. And just like, I want to bring you value. And he sent me back a message of like, 
it's amazing to me that you're spending time you know, trying to get like new, I can't remember what it was, but like, maybe you should start, you know, taking care of your old customer, you know, clearly an upset message. And I was like, I'm really sorry um, that you're like upset right now. Could you tell me more about like why you're upset? I really apologize. I'd love to make this right. And he sent me like a series of very ambiguous messages where I, I responded as nice as I could. He's like, you deserve to know why I'm upset, but like, wouldn't tell me why I'm up he's upset. I was like, you know, I'm, I really appreciate your feedback. Like, I'd love to, to know what it was that I could improve on. I, I make mistakes. I'm a human being. I definitely know I'm not perfect. And I, I want to, you know, always improve and be better. And, and then finally, after a series of more messages, sent me a voice message being like, you know, I really appreciate that you ignored me. Because, and this is someone who runs a work culture company. So I thought that was like, like, he was not, he was being very, like, like, when I get upset, there's two ways to deal with being upset. You can be like negative and rude about it, or you can express yourself and how upset you are in a positive way. And he was not doing that at all, but I was just like, you know, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I want you to know it really wasn't my intention to ignore you. Here's why this happened logistically. I'd love to make, you know, make it right. Let me know how I can make it right in your terms. Um, I haven't gotten a message back yet. So like, we'll see where that goes, but he's either going to hold on to being upset or he's going to let me try and fix the issue. Those are always the two options. You can, when you try your best, you cannot make someone happy. That is the fact. You cannot, they have to choose to make themselves happy. All you can do is apologize, mean it, and offer to fix it. And if that's not enough, that's not on you. And that is something that took me years of messing up and seeing those two responses to realize, man, some people respond really well. Like when I do this, they're like, not only are they, is the problem fixed, but I actually get a way more deeply loyal customer because they go, wow, this person actually cares way more than a normal company would. They, they're really going out of their way to like prove to me that like they did not want this mistake to happen. And they're willing to give me free stuff to make up for it. Like, these guys are dope. Like I trust them now because now I know if there's ever going to be a mistake, they have my back and they're going to fix it. Some people though, right? We all know this. Some people want to be upset and choose to be upset regardless of there being a better option for them to, to not be upset anymore. I think that you handled it like a class act and I recently had a situation like that. So I, I appreciate your advice even, and I completely agree. You know, I said, that it wasn't my intention and how can I make this right? And I even refunded my management fee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even with all that, sometimes people will still choose to be upset. Even when literally now they've got something for free, like they've paid nothing. They got something for free, whether they liked that something or not. And they're still going to act like you're Hitler or like you're, you're trying to destroy their life. If you disappear from their ability to pay attention to you, they will find something else. Or even maybe that's the favor you're doing them by blocking them. Like maybe now they can feel better. A hundred percent. I mean, I had referred my client to someone to make them a website actually. And the first draft of the website, they didn't like. And, you know, it was just a first draft. And then I said right, to her, I was right, like, what right. did you like? What didn't you like? Can you give me an example of one that you do like? Did they go, you know? I don't know? Of course. Yeah. So I know exactly. <laughs> the business I had after the smoking accessory, which was diffuser beads, was graphic design. And this is what made me not do graphic design was there were so many clients who I'd spend hours making their design 
I was revising it and each time when they, they'd go, I don't like it, I'd be like, that's okay. I can fix and change. I'm a graphic designer. I can change any portion. Which part don't you like or what about it don't you like? And they would literally, I don't know. I just don't like it. And, and I try and get them to describe anything to me. Okay, that's fine. What are you picturing? Could you tell? I don't know. It's just not this. <laughs> and I like didn't know how to deal with that because like then they would, again, either not pay or want to like be so upset that they demand a refund or want to destroy, like literally take so much of their time to try and destroy my business. I was like, I can't handle this. I'm doing so much work for them, for them to hate me. <laughs> so that's, that's mostly why I got out of that business. But like she loved the logo, loved yeah. the styling guide, loved the Pinterest board, and then could not tell me anything about what she didn't like with the mock-up. <laughs> yeah, it's a unique difficulty with anything graph, like digital design. It, it really is. Because even with, with glass art, I don't have that problem at all in terms of people will at least have a favorite color. Like part of why they like glass is the color or this other thing. And so I can always get them to tell me what that is. I checked out your Instagram page and I saw that you did these spiral wraps. And you said that that was so your that's another thing. artist just to, to oh first. okay yeah, yeah. so the, all the videos with soft I don't do soft glass I do burrow silicate so anything I do is directly in the flame because it's uh, coe 33 meaning coefficient of expansion 33 and the glass cools down literally three times as fast as coe 104 which is referred to as hot, uh, soft glass and so soft glass they put it in the furnace they take it out and they can still do stuff to it because it's cooling down much more uh, slowly borosilicate once you take it out of the flame it's like 10 seconds before it's hard again and you can't you can't do stuff to it. So all of the work that I do is done like very directly in the flame on a, a tabletop torch. Have you burned yourself that way? Not in the flame. Like that's a serious, serious burn. I'm way more, I'm not klutzy, luckily. Um, so I've only ever burned myself by touching a piece of hot glass that I forgot was hot and not visibly hot anymore. And those are very slight burns. One, cause you like pull your hand away very quickly. And two, it's just not that hot. What's your favorite thing to make? My favorite thing to make are pendants, so jewelry like necklaces, because people can wear them around with them versus it just sitting there. And they get like compliments that like really make you feel like when someone, when you wear a unique glass pendant, you, you definitely get compliments on it. And that feels really good. <laughs> I've realized that like children really resonate with glass pendants and they love to pick them up and be like, oh, this is so cool. And I have a love for, for kids and their curiosity and their creativity. I think we should all be more childlike at times. Do you have a story of one that you've donated that you won't forget? There's definitely a few of them. I don't remember the names of people, but there's been times because of how I market through my Instagram, it's never just been about my product. I've always shared here's our life, here's our struggles, here's the things like I believe in and I like want to inspire you guys to believe in. And because of that, sometimes pretty often through Instagram, people would reach out and say, hey, either like they would have won a piece at auction and then something happened bad in their life. Like, hey, my grandma just died. I can't buy this piece anymore. I feel really bad. I'm so sorry. And we'd be like, that's okay. We're like, we're so sorry too. We're just going to send it to you anyways. Like we, we don't need your money. Like that's, this is an opportunity for us to do something good. They'll message us back and say, you know, this really helped me get through 
like my grandma's death, like this really, like I was devastated and you guys doing this kindness, like literally made my whole month bearable or better. Or like one time I had someone message me and this one really stands out that like my glass and what they mean is my brand, but but the, it's the brand, like we give objects power. I really believe that, right? We make objects meaningful. And that, that piece through the power of our brand and like what it meant to him, helped him have the courage to tell his, his like really good friend to like stop doing hard drugs and like have that conversation and like possibly save that friend's life. And that it was, it was so hard for him to do, but that like we helped him do that through, through our glass blowing and through our art and through our like posting. And so like, those are, those are really meaningful things to me that mean a lot more than like any of the money that I've made. Thank you so much. Wow. I just love your story. How can people connect with you? I mean, I know you're on like every single channel. You've created a business page on LinkedIn. So can anyone yeah. join that? Yeah. So LinkedIn is the best place. If you search my name, it's unique enough. I'm probably the only one that pops up. You can also Google me and I have a bunch of podcast interviews out there that all have links to my, to my different socials, but LinkedIn's probably one of the best ways to reach out to me. Um, comment on one of my posts first, cause I get a ton of spam requests from Forex and Bitcoin traders and the likes, um, <laughs> and creepy guys, let's be honest. <laughs> The other great place to message me is through Instagram. My Instagram, I have two of them. One is Monkey Boy Glass, which is the one you've been looking at. The other is Mayan Gordon Media, which is the name of my consulting agency. And I don't get that many DMs through Instagram. So like, I will for sure see that and respond to it. And I will put everything in the links below. So yeah, and then the other, so the other thing real quick would be my email. Like you can directly email me. That's monkeyboyarts with an S at gmail.com. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a fascinating story. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share it. So daddy, what did you think? The customer is always right, especially when they're wrong. It's your job to satisfy them the best that you can, even if there's a mistake that occurs. And a lot of times it's the, it's their fault, but uh, they obviously are going to blame you and if you, again, have a positive attitude about it and make sure that even if they have a misinterpretation of something that you've said or you've done, that you're, you're there to correct it, even if you have to throw in a, a free piece or do it over again, that's what customer relations is all about, is taking care of your customer with the highest priority. You probably knew who I was talking about in that episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes, no matter what you do to re-satisfy someone, they get a block in their head, and sometimes it's just not able to be manageable at all, and you have to just move on. And as uh, Mayan had said, it's not your fault. You've done and cleared your conscience of doing everything that you can do to correct the situation or do the right thing. It's up to the person on the other end of where they have to uh, be able to let it go. And a lot of times people cannot let it go because it's mongled uh, their own brain to where they just can't seem to function. But that's no excuse for us not to do the best that we can to function. I think that's the difference. Uh, the other thing that was very interesting, again, 
is about how people from all different walks of life go through different hardships. Those that can think outside the box, those that can go with the flow, those that can continue to add to their knowledge and experiences and take the pluses and the minuses, and they learn and develop even the negative things that have happened to them and turn them into positive things where you use, as she said, 10 years of experiences to really find her way. She tried a couple of businesses, a couple of things that she's good at, but found out that it's not necessarily the direction that makes the most sense for her. And she continually adds to her community by also not only sharing herself, but willing to give a platform to others to share themselves. You are doing the same thing, is that you're not only promoting some of the activity that you want to accomplish and do, but you have opened the forum for many other people that can express themselves in an open forum and get questions and answers. It's, again, a taste of reality, but in a, in a beautiful sense where a person has free expression and it's not where you're reporting it with some type of critical nature. It has a natural flow on your show. The Better Call Daddy Show is now proudly sponsored by Sadie Simper Designs. Listen, I had Sadie make some custom animated gifts for this podcast and they were fantastic. Animated GIFs are a great way to make Instagram stories more interesting, and they can also be used in place of your logo to make your emails more dynamic. Sadie creates custom branding. She doesn't just take a logo based off of nothing. She helps you take time to build your brand's identity, and she creates a brand suite that is truly tailored to you. Have you seen my Megawatts Productions logo? She made that. Visit sadiesimperdesigns.com to see portfolio and brand packages. For 20% off your custom gift or brand suite, email sadiesimperdesigns at gmail.com and use the subject line, call daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show.